is Annika in Columbia and Maria in Happy Valley. And welcome to the second season of the City of Subdued podcast. Bad Town. So before we get to our story, we've got some good news. Oh yeah, what's that? Our show, the City of Subdued podcast, Bad Town, is airing weekly on the local public radio station, KMRE. Oh, cool. What time can we listen? You can listen on Thursday nights at 10 o'clock p.m. on 102.3 FM. If you're hearing us on the radio, make sure to let us know. We're so excited to bring in new listeners. I am I am also excited to hear this week's story. What is it, Maria? Yeah, it's a good one. The Curse of the Chinese Miners is a legend that's been around for a long time. We're going to be getting into the history of this curse and the history of the terrible treatment of Chinese laborers. That's coming right up on this week's episode of Bad Town. It's Maria, and welcome to Bad Town, where we discuss the darkest and baddest parts of Bellingham and Whatcom County history. We are joined today by Marissa. Hi. And Colby. Hello. From the Good Time Girls. This is our first deep dive into a Bellingham legend. What will we be talking about, and how does it tie in to our series theme? <laughs> so Bellingham was referred to as Bad Town. And, you know, we would bring people back here and, you know, it just got this reputation. And part of that story was, you know, if you go to Bellingham, if you go to Bad Town as a traveler, you were going to fall under this this idea of a curse that was on the town. And it would always sort of suck you back in. And part of that story of the curse actually came from a story that was generations old, which was that Chinese people had been buried in a mine or killed in a mine somehow, and that somehow this they put a curse on the town. Um, and I didn't really know much details of the story growing up. It was just something that I'd heard. But now I know a lot more details about the story. <laughs> yeah. So Maria, that's what we want to tell you about today is the history of the myth of the curse of the Chinese miners. We kind of want to dive into it more deeply with you. So what's going on at the time this story takes place? So 1849 is when um, it's a famous uh, time period because that's when the, the gold rush is really happening. It's this Gold is actually discovered in a creek in 1848 in California. But by 1850, there were, out of a population of 23.2 million um, people in America, 4,000 were Chinese, and they were basically all in California. And they were there to make money off of the gold rush. They were panning for gold. Also at the time, no any kind of immigration rules or laws. But it doesn't take long for people um, in California in particular to get real pissy about that concept and to specifically single out the Chinese. So this is shortly after the Mexican-American War. The white men that are sort of left in California sort of see gold, the gold mining as their way that they're going to make their fortune. Um, any competition in that area of like looking for gold is not appreciated. 
So my question to you, Colby, is if you can talk a little bit more about what Chinese labor, like what that looked like in Bellingham, what kind of work was offered to you? Uh, where did you live? Things like right. that. Well, there's not a ton of information. Uh, we do know that the Chinese who were employed at the Sihome mine did not have the best paying jobs. So that meant they weren't actually down deep in the darkest parts of the mines, which seems weird, but those were the better paying jobs. And those were taken by largely Welsh and English immigrants. The Chinese who worked at the Sihome mine, as far as I can tell, their job was to wash the coal. So after the coal was brought up to the surface and before it was loaded onto ships. It was a little dirty. Yeah. They had to kind of sort it, you know, and get the best pieces and wash it and clean it. And so that was just kind of like the lame job nobody wanted to do. So that was the Chinese job. So they're like, cool, well, we will let the Chinese do that. Yeah. As far as I can tell, they did a lot of other things too. They just kind of used them as the grunt labor that would work for cheap, whatever needed doing. For instance, um, Captain Tart, who was the Chinese boss in the 70s, a white man took a crew of them and they cleared an orchard at the mine superintendent's house, which is on the site of what we call Orchard Terrace Apartments today, between Forest and State Street, just near the roundabout. And there are actually still fruit trees in that apartment complex that were planted at that time. Wait, so there's a system of tunnels under downtown? Yeah. So the Seahome mine was basically plagued its entire history with problems with fire and gases and flooding. So basically all those reasons made it not profitable in the end. It was too, you know, much money to keep dealing with all of the issues. So they closed it down. Um, It kind of sounds to me like I just had an image of like from Princess Bride where they're in, what do they call where the rats are and the fire is shooting out of the ground, the swamp of whatever. (laughs) But you know, you know, I'm talking exactly what I'm talking about. Wesley. Yes. Giant rats. Yes. Fire. (laughs) Yes. So for a long time, we didn't quite exactly know where the mine shafts were because Uh, The headquarters of the people who invested in and owned the mines were in San Francisco, which kept burning down and having earthquakes and so forth. And so a lot of the records around the Sihome mines were lost. But we do know after geologists from Western and other places have studied a lot of the downtown area and looked very thoroughly at what records we do have and kind of figured it out. So they're sort of in a zucchini shape is what I've heard (laughs) under downtown Bellingham. Is this just their way of not saying wang shape? Like, what do they mean? (laughs) (laughs) I like that better. It's a big old phallus shaped mine. That explains all the phallic symbol buildings that are in downtown Bellingham because they're just like being pushed up out of the earth like the Mount Baker Theater. <laughs> the, Rocket the Bellingham versus Towers. Scepter. <laughs> the Scepter. <laughs> and the Rocket. You know, it's just a big old cockfight. Wow. Just a bunch of wings. So... <laughs> Okay, the openings to the mine were at Cornwall and Laurel, and some people say there was another one at the end of Railroad and Laurel. It's it, There's some discussion over where there were, but they actually sank two different shafts that were separate from each other. Um, shafts. I know, I was trying to move Sorry. on, but I... <laughs> uh, because the, of the problems that I mentioned before, so they tried to make another shaft to see if it would be any better, and it wasn't. There's been cave-ins over time. There's been times where people are building, for instance, Starbucks 
uh-huh. at the corner <laughs> of Holly and Railroad. <laughs> but when Starbucks started building, they had to really sink way deeper to anchor it into foundation because there were mine shafts. I remember that from when Fiamma Burger was being built too. They ha- they dealt with yep. some issues because they had the same thing happen. Yeah, so we're like Swiss cheese under there. It doesn't. I mean, when the when we often talk sometimes about like when the big one hits in this part of the country, and I always <laughs> my first thought is I'm like, oh, downtown is just done. <laughs> just- yeah, yeah, it is. It's a nightmare. Oh, we're doomed. Not to make anybody worry, because you know. It probably won't happen in our lifetime. It's fine. We're not cursed. <laughs> it's a good, it's a great place to live. <laughs> so when, okay, we were talking about how we are built on Swiss cheese and we're all going to die. And we were talking about how the mines that kind of crisscross, I imagine them crisscrossing like a bunch of tubes, like that old screensaver that was just a bunch of series of tubes. These ones were pretty simple. So it was like a main shaft. So they had two main shafts and then there were rooms off of those shafts where they mined the coal. Okay. So it was like a, I don't know, a shaft with weird growths on the side, I think. I'm just imagining, again, I'm just imagining a very unhealthy penis. So, okay, I got it. Yeah. And so there's people. (laughs) Yes, Yes. exactly. But there are people inside. It's deep, deep underground. So you could kind of see how there could be problems that could be dangerous for human beings right. that are working down and there. And there were many. And many of these people were Chinese workers. When did they first arrive in Bellingham? The first times we hear about Chinese people coming to Bellingham was during the Fraser River Gold Rush of 1858. California Gold Rush has kind of been and done. There's other gold rushes and various mining, you know, wahoos happening here and there and everywhere. But that was when some Chinese merchants were first reported in Bellingham Bay. Right, which I think it's famously there's like less than 300 people living in Bellingham Bay at that point. And then we end up with like 10,000 people literally overnight over a couple of days. There's 10,000 people camped out on the beach. And that includes... I feel like it was more like 50 people. <laughs> it was it was tiny. Okay, yeah. So that, that makes lots of sense. So 50 to like 10,000, what we think of as Bellingham now. So what is the actual curse? There's like so many versions of the story. Oh, yeah, totally. But, so... but the basics are Chinese died in the mine and either purposely or semi-purposely. Yeah. So in the version that I that I was told, they were sort of just like cast aside. And then the Chinese, while they were trapped, then cursed the town of Bellingham. And, and the specific curse was that no one shall ever leave Bellingham. How long has this story been around? Actually, the earliest versions of the story do not mention a curse at all. So that's something that evolved later. And in fact, the earliest versions of the story were more about uh, if you dig into the old mine, you can find treasure because people believed that the Chinese kept their money on them in money belts and um, hoarded their money and, you know, kept it on their person and um, all these ideas about them. And so a lot of children were were kind of told, like, you know, you could dig for treasure. So it evolved from the story of finding buried treasure where the Chinese were almost like an aside. Right. <laughs> and and into the curse story, which I find really fascinating. Where did the idea of this curse originate? The first mention, which is interesting, is in 1888. It's the Reveille. And they say, uh, Mr. Hastings has a gang of 20 men grading Holly Street to connect with 13th, which became 
Holly Street as well. They are filling in the old cave hole where six Chinamen were buried in the coal mine a dozen years ago. So a dozen years ago okay. would have been 1876. Right. We don't have any reports from 1876 or any of the years at all of this happening. Okay. Do, do you think it's possible that six Chinese laborers being killed in such a in, in an accident like that could have just been not treated with any like that the that because of everything we know that maybe their human life was not considered as equal or as as important and so if they died there's a possibility that it just didn't get reported on because there was just not much I care. I don't think that. I mean, we just said that, like, we think it would have been sensational and it would have been this huge thing. It would have been a huge story. But what if it happened on the same day as, yeah. like... The, okay, so if you read enough of the newspapers of that time, you will become quickly aware there was very little happening. <laughs> and I have not. And you yeah, have. So, so. <laughs> they're, they're, like, anything, anything newsworthy, they're on it. And, you know, they, they they likely would have spun it, you know, they would have said, oh, these stupid Chinese were in the mine at the wrong time. Or, you know, they probably would have spun it in a way yeah. that was favorable. Proof that the Chinese needed to leave. Yeah. Yeah. Like, what's their fault? The way that you do when, like, anything right. bad happens to a, to a woman, you make it sure that everybody knows right. it was her fault. The same thing was so, happening. So I don't know. I'm, I am I find it a little, I'm not discounting the fact that they could have, something was there or something happened, but it's, it is very unusual that nothing would have been reported. So we have one mention in the Reveille of the supposed buried miners, but no actual article about the explosion of the mine at the time itself. Do we have any other sources or evidence that this story could be true? There's nothing really there other until you get to the 40s, 1940s. Well, this is just looking at newspaper accounts. So presumably this whole time this rumor is being passed on as an oral history because then in the 1940s, um, a sinkhole opens up at the corner of Holly and Railroad and it's the old mine shaft. And so this brings up stories of the mine. And so the Herald prints a story. And I just want to read this little bit because it's pretty sweet. Bellingham Herald, 1949. Do ancestral ghosts of dead Chinese haunt the sulfurous mine levels that underlie Bellingham? What secrets are contained in the rubble-filled passageways of the Seahome coal mine? And what treasure? Seventy years have passed since the mine was abandoned, but the legend persists that it is a giant sarcophagus for unnumbered Chinese laborers, each with their life savings strapped to their skeletons. Dun, dun, dun. Oh my God. First of all, the writing has gotten way better at this point. <laughs> I am riveted. I want. Yeah. It's like delicious true crime. Like I want to believe that that's something that exciting could be happening, but also like there's still so much just like dripping racism yes. in <laughs> of this whole right. thing as well. It's like, uh, and also like sarcophagus, like you're mixing your racist metaphors. <laughs> newspaper, it's exotic. <laughs> it doesn't matter. So they, yeah, it's just like far away land. You know, it's funny because they lead in with that super tantalizing thing, but then they go on to be like, "Meh, it's probably a myth." We interviewed these old timers. And they pretty much said otherwise. Right. So and one since we kicked all the Chinese out shortly after this, we <laughs> don't have any Chinese people to ask right? this question to. So we had to ask a bunch of old white guys who are like, I don't know. Yeah. And then right. there's that. 
But so Cecil Morse of Morse Hardware is one person they talked to. And he just basically was like, I don't know. But we were told like our whole lives as kids that if we would dig into the old mine, we would find gold in the money belts of Chinese who were drowned when the mine was flooded. So there's a flooded version. And again, the treasure and the gold belts. Percival Jeffcott who you may know from writing... That's not a real person's name. Percival. Jeffcott? Percival J- is his first name. Percival. Percy Jeffcott. Yeah. So he Percy, wrote many yeah. uh, local okay. uh, Wacom history books. Yeah. He's a local historian. Yeah. I hope that guy didn't have no. a lisp. Oh. Because that would have been a difficult name. <laughs> but he was married to a Mrs. Tart. So his wife's... Great great <laughs> grandfather was Mr. Colonel Tart or whatever the hell his name was. That was the Chinese mine boss. Was the Chinese labor boss. Aha. So Percival Jeffcott wrote Nook, Sack, Tales and Trails. And so he was considered a you know esteemed local historian uh, at the time of this interview. Kind of similar to how Lottie Rhoda Roth would have been. She wrote The History of Whatcom County, Volumes 1 and 2, which are like the size of, I don't even know, big old Bibles. What phone books used to look like in the 90s. Yeah. yeah. So he said, so his father-in-law was like a grandson of the Tart, who was the mine boss of the Chinese. And he claimed that the Tart boys all vouched... Which is the opposite of the Good Time Girls. <laughs> the Tart boys. <laughs> which I think means like, you know, whichever old Tarts were left that he talked to. <laughs> <laughs> they vouched for the statement that a number of Chinese were left in the mine. and But he says... After an explosion that was touched off by a number of celestials, which was the common term they used to refer to the Chinese. So basically, he says they were exploring a slope while the white miners were off duty on a Sunday and they somehow touched off an explosion and were killed, which is a different story than I had seen or read anywhere else. So that's interesting. Like they had a methane pocket or something. He doesn't Mm -hmm. elaborate. So I have no idea. That's really common. I was I was trying to learn about mining, but there, yeah, that's a common thing, like hitting a methane or other gas pocket. But also, if there was some accident, I'm sure that would have been reported on. So what do you think is informing these three different strange, just like vague references to a bunch of Chinese death that happened in the mine, it's like in different places know. and for different I mean, reasons? It's, it's really hard to say. And I don't know for sure, other than the, the allure of the lore and the telling of this sort of story and everybody adds their own spin onto it and sort of being this oral history, oral lore. My basic like takeaway from this whole thing is like, you know, okay, there's plenty of reasons like if cursing was actually a thing, (laughs) which it's totally not and it's totally a horrible stereotype. But, you know, there are plenty of other reasons the Chinese could have put a curse on our town. Whether they were buried intentionally or accidentally or not, I don't know. But, you know, that whole curse thing is kind of, what do you, what do you, I don't know, what you make of it. There's, obviously we can't do anything about the curse part of it, but I think what we have tried to do and maybe not succeeded at, (laughs) maybe we've done a little bit of work towards is got people to sort of pick apart that story a little bit more and think a little bit more about what the origins are of it. And um, I think like all good myths, there's a little bit of a nugget of truth in there somewhere. 
if it, it's specific that there were Chinese laborers who died in the mines, I don't think we're ever going to fully know, but it sounds like there's evidence that something potentially could have happened at some point. But really, it's about just doing a better job of looking at the stories that we all tell each other and ourselves about our history and especially our race and thinking a little bit harder about them. I'm also just going to do a little shout out for, for people that want more information that the PBS American Experience on the Chinese Exclusion Act is two hours and 45 minutes of pure fascination. It is so good, so well done. There are really great primary sources in there and uh, incredible historians of Chinese descent in America who tell these stories. And if you are like nerding out hard on this and want a bigger picture, I highly recommend that to people. Yeah, awesome. I do want to say there are plenty of reasons to imagine Bellingham might be cursed if that was an actual thing. There are plenty of reasons to refer to it as bad town. <laughs> you know, um, this is just one yeah. little story. You know, if you feel like you're living with a curse, you should tell us about it. I feel like Bellingham's real curse is that no one wants to leave, but it keeps getting too expensive and so it pushes people out. <laughs> right? All right. It's true. Yes. So with that, we are going to say good night to our beautiful friends, the Good Time Girls. And Annika and I are going to talk about our local treasures this week. Thank you for having us. Yeah. Thank you so much. This is going to be fun. That was such a fascinating deep dive into a Bellingham legend. We're going to pull ourselves out of the history books and jump back into modern times to talk about local treasures this week. In this segment, we do a roundtable sharing of something we ate, drank, or otherwise consumed recently that fills us with local pride. Annika, do you have a pick for this week? Yes. Mine is red rum. I love going to red rum. I love the vibe. And I'm thankful that they finally have some outdoor seating, even though like I totally get the vibe they're going for with usually being indoor. But due to COVID, of course, they've had to think outside the box. I got the chichi, which is like a coconutty vodka drink. It's kind of like a pina colada, except for the vodka, pretty mm-hmm. much. And then sweet potato fries, because I love sweet potato fries. But uh, just remember, if you do sit indoors, because I don't know how exactly they'll be transitioning into the colder months, be sure to fill out the volunteer contact tracing. Yes, that's very important to keep us all safe. I know I'm in the middle of my own COVID exposure scare right now. And so everybody wants to know if they've been at risk so they can protect the people that they love. So make Mm -hmm. sure to do that. I also know Red Rum, I think, has some new hours, Mm -hmm. um, longer hours, which is awesome for them and awesome for everybody that loves their drinks. So I agree. Make sure to check them out. My local treasure this week is the Birdie Juice from Herb Cider. It's my favorite one of their ciders. It's originally a flagship. I was bummed when their tap room closed down, but uh, you can still find their ciders at wonderful cider vendors like Thousand Acre Cider House and in the cider section of Elizabeth Station. It's refreshing. Uh, Apple cider is wonderful for autumn. I think this one has like lemon and lime in it as well, which makes it kind of tart. So... After a long day of work, it definitely puts a pep in my step. All right, so I think that about wraps things up for today. Stay tuned for next week's episode where we learn about bad budcocks. So remember to like and follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. You can check out our website 
at cityofthesubdued.com. And you can also support the City of Subdued podcast and support local radio by tuning in to KMRE at 102.3 FM every Thursday night at 10 p.m. to listen to Bad Town. Or you can listen to us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or Google Podcasts. And a very special thank you to Marissa, Colby, and Ren from The Good Time Girls for being incredible season two co-hosts and for their incredible research. You can find them at bellinghistory.com as well as Facebook and Instagram. We also want to thank Francisco D'Andrea for our intro and outro music, The Criminals Jazz Band. And lastly, thank you to Maria and myself for doing the editing. With that, I say to you, Bellingham, so long. A little more subdued, Maria. See you next week.